Hello, you're listening to Adrian Has Issues, the conversational podcast celebrating the culture of creativity. This week, I'm speaking once again with comic book writer Frank Ogle. Frank has been generating some serious buzz as of late. His first published title, Grief, was nominated for a Ringo Award in 2019 for Best Anthology. Frank followed that up with the breakthrough indie hit Dead and Kids from Sourcepoint Press with artist and frequent collaborator Chris Madd. Uh, matter of fact, uh, you'll probably remember him from episode 147, where I spoke with both Chris and Frank at Eastside Mags in Montclair, New Jersey. That book, um, I'm sure you've heard about it by now, but if you haven't, uh, it was a great miniseries, and it sold over 7,000 copies and went through two printings. This summer, Frank is returning in what is perhaps his most personal story yet, a miniseries entitled No Heroin, also from Sourcepoint Press. And with Frank, uh, the rest of the team is, once again, Chris Mad, uh, Shauna Mad on colors, uh, letters by Sean Reinhardt, and covers by Ahmed Rafat. And, uh, well, thank you for joining us today, Frank. And like I said, it's a pleasure to speak with you again. I had so much fun chatting with you at Eastside Mag. So, of course, any opportunity to do so again, like I immediately had to jump on. Thanks for having me. And thanks for getting up so early to, to chat with me. No problem. Like, I, <laughs> this is one of those things like, oh, getting up to talk about comics with uh, the great guest. That's, that's, believe me, that's a, that's a good day. Man, it's, it, yeah, I remember a few years ago when I first started writing comics in 2016 dreading the idea of being on podcasts i think i did i did one when grief was on kickstarter and like it was terrifying <laughs> and I was just i was so grateful that anyone would want to talk to me about like this little shitty book i wrote but uh you know it's it's almost four years later and like i, I still really do appreciate like people taking time out of their day to give me a platform to to talk about my shitty little stories so i appreciate it anytime and it works both ways because i also appreciate the time that anyone's willing to to come speak to me about it i've always appreciated having these conversations and talking about the books because i know maybe to some podcasting doesn't seem like it's that viable a thing but i figured what better way to let people know about the book to speak to someone about it and also just get people excited about it because you've been to conventions you know sometimes like you may just look at a book or be handed a book you only really you don't really have as much time especially if it's busy to sort of go into great detail so you kind of have to give an elevator pitch which is cool but i also like the idea of kind of exploring the themes getting a little bit more in depth with it yeah, no, absolutely. I honestly, like, I work in marketing uh, at a, a, a tech startup in San Francisco, and like, my day to day job is me trying to figure out like how to reach the most people um, the most efficient way, and and like, I take a lot of that experimenting and learning like back to comics with me to try and you know reach as many people with, with my work as I can, and. Uh, one of the things that I think is the modern 2020, 2019 comic creator's best friend is, is podcasts. Like, if you think about it, it's like a 45 minute, an hour, sometimes two hour canvas to, to talk about yourself and your book, which as a creator is your product. And it's got a built in audience. Like, people subscribe to podcasts, right? Like, if, if, if I got, a a headline on bleeding cool like anyone who goes to bleeding cool during that like hour window that's on the front page will maybe see it and right. then maybe click on it. i mean there's like huge diminishing returns on that and then like you can only say so much in like you know a predetermined written interview and then you know you can only capture so much um and it's 
you know, once it's off the front page, it's probably buried forever unless somebody Googles something and it comes up. Right. Podcasts, on the other hand, you know, whether it's, you know, 200 or, or 50 or 2,000 subscribers, those are people who, who like your show and come back every time there's an episode when they get a notification or when they check every week or whatever it is. Um, and then I've got, you know, like I said, like a, like a 45 minute to two hour canvas to really like connect with them and, 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 and drive home, like the, the concept for the book and, and, and like have an opportunity to say several things about the book that maybe one of those things connects with a particular listener and they might check it out. Like, so it's, I think podcasts are easily the, the best way to talk about comics and, and, and promote a book. Um, and, and honestly, like, I just like talking to people. Like, <laughs> right, exactly. I didn't realize this until I was older, but I'm a fucking talker. Like, <laughs> I had the same thing when I was like for years as a kid, like I barely said anything. And then somehow in my mid twenties, I couldn't shut up. <laughs> Yeah, I will apologize for rambling. And like, honestly, sometimes I go off on tangents that I forget the question that was asked. So um, you remember our first podcast together. So trust me, I'm not I won't be offended in the least bit. <laughs> I apologize in advance, but uh, I'm excited to be back with Dead and Kids and your anthology grief. Something I do appreciate. And also, thank you for the kind words, by the way. You do have this really nice, refreshing approach when it comes to comics. And even just being that transparent regarding, you know, what you just said, I think is important because sometimes I think we take for granted. It's like, okay, you know, we have podcaster, we have guest. They nine or 10 times are there to promote something. And it's, it's very fun. It's very enjoyable. But by the same time, it gets a little rote. So sometimes it is nice to sort of break down the why a guest comes on to a podcast or a podcaster, you know, brings a guest on. And I think it makes for better understanding. And I really like that approach a lot. And especially with your writing, uh, your last two projects are unflinchingly honest. And some, you know, and I, I hate, I, I try my best not to get into these standard descriptors because I felt, I feel like they don't do proper justice to each project. Cause I know some people, you know, they call it dark. They called it gritty. Me, I kind of just thought of it as being honest. Like it didn't shy away from themes that some would say are, you know, a, a little more personal, a bit more serious, but doing so in a way where it's engaging and not off-putting. So coming to no heroin, I think it kind of like takes that next step. And I, I want to do my best to kind of like set up the story without spoiling it. Cause of course people, should read this. So it would be probably better to kind of give at least just a little, a little bit of a description as to what the general story is about. Yeah, no, that's, it's actually, um, it's, it's a pretty easy one. And, and this is, uh, one of my favorites of the things I've worked on so far in my career. Um, I'm a huge Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan. Uh, Joss Whedon's writing and the writing on that show and the storytelling on the show is a huge, huge influence on on the way I tell stories. Like some of that honesty you just mentioned and, and dealing with like hard topics comes from me sort of ingesting so much Buffy over the years. Uh, I think I watched the first five seasons on repeat for like once a year um, until I got to college. And then uh, yeah, the six and seven you know, multiple times since then too. Like I just, <laughs> 
I, I had a healthy diet of Buffy from like the age of nine moving forward. Um, and, and at a time in my life where things weren't great, like, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this last time, we we're having a really good time, so I might not have brought it up. Um, but like both of my parents growing up were, were drug addicts. Um, and like, it was, you know, it was a lot of, there's was a lot of drama around that. My, my dad passed away when I was a year and a half old from a drug overdose. And my mom raised me sort of on her own for a long time. Um, and she sort of struggled with her addiction in and out of rehab and, and losing custody of me and getting me back and um, when she remarried her my stepdad also had a history of drugs and like they sort of devolved again together there's a lot going on there um, so Buffy and comic books in general were, were sort of little like escapisms for me growing up and and I and I carried you know sort of my appreciation and love for those things forward as I grew up and, and when I started writing comics like that those were the kinds of stories and and, and the, the kind of uh, format for a story that I loved and, and was there for me. So I wanted to do more of that for the world. So no heroin is my sort of love letter to Buffy, but like told in a way that I would tell a story. Like if you read dead end kids or you read grief, like there's a, like you said, there's an honesty, like uh, there, there's a, a certain type of subject matter that I like to engage with. And it's, it's the stuff people don't want to talk with, like, you know, what it's like to, to have a, an addict for a mother or to, to be a recovering addict or to, you know, staring straight in the face of mental illness or childhood trauma, things, things like that. So no heroin is the story of Kayla. Um, she is, what if Buffy was a recovering heroin addict? Um, so Kayla is a, a young woman who's, who's, a recovering heroin addict. She's uh, homeless and um, she's sort of on this personal journey uh, that doesn't really get talked about a lot in popular media. Um, uh, there's sort of three stages of, of, of addiction. There's sort of the, the period where you're actively engaged in your addiction and you're using and, and, and that's, that's one aspect. Right. There's the, the sort of rehabilitation aspect of it where you, know, you got movies like Sandra Bullock's 28 days where you see her go to rehab or you see people or uh, Charlie's arc on the early seasons of lost where he's getting clean. Mm -hmm. And then uh, you've got this third sort of act to it where you are in recovery and all of that's behind you. And that I don't see um, shown in popular media very much, sort of the, the post-rehabilitation angle. Um, that comes with its own set of trials and tribulations that, uh, honestly, for, from my experience growing up with addict parents and, and seeing my, my best friends growing up, my, my brother Joey and my cousin Tom, like, really struggle with addiction on and off for pretty much our entire teenage and adult life so far. Um, like, it's just it's something that needs a little more attention focused on it because it is, right. it is, it's, it's a very particular and, and difficult time for these people. Um, so, uh, that, that's the kind of like, first and foremost, all my stories are, are human stories. And this is a story of very much about Kayla and what she's going through as she's about to hit 90 days of being in recovery and realizing the shitty person she is and not moving forward being that way anymore or doing her damnedest to try and be different. And, and the way she does that is by sort of falling into this world of monster hunting. Um, in this first issue, uh, uh, she's on sort of a like an investigation type mission looking for her friend Sid, who is her sort of de facto sponsor. He's a recovering addict himself. He's a little further along the line, and she really depends on him for support a little bit too much, even so much so that like it's it's like a bad dependency rather than like, you know, 
looking to somebody for help. Like one of the big themes of the book is the difference between asking for help and taking advantage. Um, and that's something I've seen in my own life with, with my, my cousin and my brother is, you know, they, they, they've been in this sort of endless cycle of getting arrested and going to rehab and getting out. And I love them and they're, I'm very close with them. And, uh, it's, you know, it's very easy when you, part of, part of it is when you, when you have the drugs and you're an addict, like you have a specific lack of structure, but right. it doesn't matter. Like that's, that's sort of the status quo of your life. And then you go to rehab and you have the, or jail and you have the structure imposed on you and it's nothing like there's no, you don't, you can't do anything about it. You just have to, you know, either roll with the punches or try to resist. Um, but you know, it's an imposed structure, but for people who get out of jail or rehab, um, and this is a little bit in the weeds, but there's, there's no structure. Um, sometimes you have probation, but like there, there's generally like you, you generally have to rely on yourself to do the things you need to do right. to stay clean and, and stay out of trouble. And it's very hard. Um, and, and these people who I, I by no means want to demonize or romanticize, like I want to take an honest look at this. Um, they, ask for help, um, which is a really good thing. Like asking for help is hard, but it can very easily become dependency. Like for, for example, my cousin Tom, when he, you know, usually gets out of rehab, like he'll hit me up and say, Hey, can you, can you give me a ride to probation? You know, he doesn't have a car. He's, 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 you know, looking for work or, you know, I don't know, being poor sucks. Um, but you know, it, it, it very easily can escalate from, hey, can I get a ride to, hey, can I get a ride everywhere? And, hey, can I borrow five bucks? Or, hey, can you lend me some money to, to, to help pay this fine that I have from, you know, before I was, you know. Right. It's like a difficult cycle, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. It's very, very difficult. Very complex. And I think in reading the story, and I as I often do, and maybe it's not necessarily the most healthy or correct thing to do. But I start thinking about the character Kayla and her experiences and some of the conversations she has in the books. And something that I try very hard to do um, as someone who just loves reading stories is getting past my own bullshit, so to speak, <laughs> mm-hmm. when it comes to stories, especially those of deep subject matter. Because, you know, being born in the 80s and growing up in the 90s, you know, it's like you hear all the PSAs on Ninja Turtles or Power Rangers about, oh, don't do drugs, you know, and taking dare and all this. And it's like, oh, yeah, well, drug dealers are losers and, you know, don't do it, which is great. But it's another thing entirely when those people who are involved are close family members and friends. Yes. It's very easy to kind of get trapped in, you know, this rhetoric and dealing with it. And you said a couple of things that I think are really important as much as you want to give them help. It's like, how do you get somebody help without sort of falling into a similar trap that they were in before? Yeah. Well, it becomes a, like a new kind of addiction. Like it, it, it becomes the way they get by and it's easy, right? Like in the book, um, the, the book is titled no heroin, like for, for two reasons. Uh, it's, it's, it's a play on the idea of, you know, she's, she's a recovering addict. She can't be using heroin anymore. No heroin. Um, but also the idea that she's not a hero. Um, she's, she's not necessarily somebody we, we need want to idolize or look to. So essentially what happens in the book is she finds out that Sid, her, her friend who she relies on has sort of been a 
taken possibly by this gang of drug dealing vampires. And she essentially goes on a suicide mission and falls into this life of monster hunting because she wants to save him. But the reason she wants to save him isn't because she wants to do the right thing. It's because she doesn't think she can get by without him. So like, you know, she's not really a hero. Like, um, she's, she does heroic things, but for the wrong reasons. And, and then, and that sort of plays into the idea of like, yeah, she's clean and she's on the straight and narrow, but she's the way she's going about it isn't healthy. And it sort of swaps out one addiction for a different set of bad habits. Um, and again, like this, this was not me trying to pass judgment on anyone. This is just, me trying to paint an actual and accurate picture of right. like what my experience was dealing with people in similar situations. And, and, and honestly, like I like to think there's a little bit of hope in there and like, it's sort of a, a weird fa- fantasy fulfillment on mine that like, you know, these people who are going through this can, can get better and, and, and can, can start heading in the right direction. But you know, that this is just the first issue. So like, there's a lot more to say on the matter. No doubt. And yes, you know, a lot of you can see the story from Kayla's perspective, being someone in recovery, trying to get better and trying to make things right. But how do you make things right if you've already burned a bridge? And also from people on the other side of things, realizing that, like, can they accept that someone can get better? Yeah, no. Um, I mean, so the the structure of the book is essentially three almost one shots, like three oversized stories that... Right. Um, I, I, tr- I, what I wanted to do is since I was doing this as like my love letter to Buffy, I wanted to sort of tackle a more TV season style format of, of issues. So each issue stands mostly on its own, but there's, there's a connective narrative that runs through all three issues and really comes to a head in the third issue. Um, so the cliffhangers are, are designed a little differently from issue to issue rather than like, you know, stopping mid scene and how's the hero going to get out of this, this fucking mess. They're, they're a little bit more designed to, to stand on their own. But across the three issues is, is the story of what, what the book's really about is, is Kayla. Um, she, she just wants to go home. Like she's, she's in a bad place with her mom after some stuff that's happened in the recent past. And she just wants to, to go home and be part of a family, which is something I think that anyone listening can relate to. Like no matter what their situation is, like we all want you know, that, that's that sense of family and, and, and togetherness. And, and when you don't have it and when you've burned those bridges so often that like, there's no hope in, in your heart that they can be rebuilt. Like it, it can, it can feel really, uh, really damning in, in a way. Right. So like, you know, again, and, and this is just like a larger version of what we were talking about a minute ago. Kayla wants to do the right thing. She wants to fix these bridges and mend these fences, but she's, doing it the wrong way and for the wrong reasons. Um, and again, like she, she's not a hero. I mean, Kayla's a piece of shit. I'm not saying that recovering drug addicts are pieces of shit. No, but no, not at all. I didn't take that way. And I don't think anyone else did, but I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. No, Kayla, Kayla's like not the kind of person you want to idolize or, or like, I mean, like she's almost not by any design of my own, but she ended up kind of being an anti Buffy. I probably sound like a broken record. I cannot bang on this point. And we've seen this in pop culture, name it. I mean, we could be here all day talking about them. But I think that we, and I don't know if it's strictly like a a Western thing or even an American thing, but separating the these archetypes of hero and villain and antagonist and protagonist and how those things aren't always synonymous with the other. 
what I'm hoping happens is we start to understand that, you know, talking about what we're saying before, is that good people can do terrible things or have terrible things happen to them, but doesn't necessarily justify, you know, their actions. And sometimes there are people who are, quote, unquote, bad, I guess, if you want to use like a, a simplistic descriptor, but those people are also capable of doing good things. So, yeah. God forbid, like, and maybe I shouldn't bring it here, but let's just say, like, you know, 45, pull someone out of a burning truck, won't happen probably, but, like, hey, you saved someone's life, but you're still pretty fucking terrible. <laughs> well, you know, like, that's that's honestly, like, what we're, what you're describing is very much a, a consideration that I've tried to build into my own storytelling philosophy. Like, if you look back to Dead End Kids, um, one of the primary antagonists, the sort of local drug dealer, Bulmer, um, you know, when, when we first meet him in the story, like he looks like a Fred Durst knockoff who's like <laughs> anyone who grew up in like poor white neighborhood knows this kid. Like he's, he, he's the fucking, he's the bum. His name has the word bum in it, like Bulmer. Um, but, uh, it looks like a stereotype. He looks like the kind of person who would be trying to sell weed to like 13 year olds. Right. But like later in the book, you, you find out that he's, he's this way for a reason. And, and like, now it doesn't justify like who he ended up becoming, but yeah, like, no doubt he's got these, these layers and he's got this backstory that, that really adds some context and some tragedy to the situation. And that's, I, I try not to look at things in absolutes when I write, like, Kayla is the hero of our book, even if she's not a very good hero, but she's, like I said, also a piece of shit. And, and my villains, when I write them and design them for the story, like I try to make sure that at the end of the day, yeah, they're the bad guys, but they're also relatable and aren't doing what they're doing for like mustache twirling reasons. <laughs> right. <laughs> they're not talking anybody to the railroad tracks. And I think this is something that we have a problem with. And I mean, I even have this problem, so I'm not necessarily trying to point fingers or judge. When stories give us context and backstory into the characters, you know, very famously, I think of, of course, everything's Marvel with me, but, you know, I think about Thanos in like the Avengers movies or even like, let's say, Killmonger and Black mm. Panther, where you have these characters who are, well, maybe in the case more of like, let's say, Killmonger, who's very tragic, who's had a terrible thing happen to him at youth. And it now gives you context for the anger and the rationale of their actions later on. But I, I'm worried that too many times we see when antagonists or villains are given these backstories as somehow it automatically equates them to being sympathetic. And I know it's not exactly the same case in No Heroin, but again, it's not that you're just of just giving context. Like you can't just tell someone, oh, well, this person's bad. This person's good. Context is everything, but that doesn't automatically mean that you're meant to necessarily feel sorry for every person or every character i should say that kind of goes through certain things yeah no a hundred percent um like like i was saying a minute ago like i've i've sort of tried to nail down and 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 be specific in my my writing about like what my storytelling philosophy is and one thing that's really informed it that you know obviously buffy um, and, and some early Stan Lee stories, like putting your character through the grinder, like he did Peter Parker, like that's, that's very much ingrained in the way I tell stories, but, uh, the book speaker for the dead, uh, which is the sequel to Ender's game. Um, and I, I by no means endorse Orson Scott Card. But <laughs> those are both pretty good books. Um, and, and the second one sees an older Ender 
dealing with his guilt for what happened in Ender's Game. I don't want to spoil it because I know not everyone's read it. Um, but essentially, he he's guilt. He feels guilt, um, and what he does is he sort of travels around the galaxy, sort of doing eulogies for for people he doesn't know. Like um, somebody will die, and they will call uh, the speaker for the dead ender, um, and he will he sort of comes to town and does like a, a a private investigator type thing, and he sort of figures out who the person was, you know what what how they lived, um, their, their good deeds, their 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 warts, like, and sort of gets a full picture of the person, and then he at at the end of his sort of stay will give a eulogy for the person, but it's it's a very honest and factual accounting of who the person was. Like it doesn't pass judgment. It doesn't, you know, say, Oh, he was, he's a fucking piece of shit. No, he was, it, it, it's, it's more like a, like an old school newspaper, right? Just the facts and make of it what you will. Um, and I always just thought that that was like very powerful, uh, as, as a way to, to view things. And it's, I'm not always successful, but it's how I try to view things in my own life. I try to take it in context and, and you mentioned Donald Trump, who, you know, full disclosure, I'm not a very big fan of. Um, but if he does something good, I'm not going to say, well, he did all these other bad things. Like, I think that the world is, is not so black and white and that there's too much bad in the world to, to be so simplistic about things. But, you know, not to get political or anything. But when I try to tell my stories, I want to have a fair and 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 sort of make your own assessment type view of these things so um and i think that that's a link to to making more real characters like like i i look at characters in, a, in books and like and it could be like the writer and analytical side of my brain working mm-hmm. but like when i when i pick up a new image book a lot of times like i'll be like okay so here's the character here's the archetype oh and here's like that that thing that makes them not so great that you know is, is supposed to to make them like kind of a badass but also not very likable but they're you know and, and it's just like i hope that when people read the characters that i create that they don't come off as sort of constructed so much as like i'd, I'd rather it be like somebody that they've they've known in their life and like they can understand like who this character is and, and maybe understand them a little better after they encounter my characters. Yeah. And I think a lot of that requires a lot of introspection. And I know we've said the word honesty a few times, but I think it requires a real honest look at oneself because, you know, yes, you can write about experiences that maybe aren't necessarily yours, you know, with hopefully enough uh, inside of research, but you're really having to dig deep into this idea of like addiction and not just from the person who's addicted, but also the people it affects. And I think that is on one and commendable, but it's also tough. And as far as trying to make sure that you're trying to tell a story without making it sound like an after school special, but by the same token, you're not necessarily trying to draw too much unneeded sympathy. And I, I think it's a fascinating idea. Starting with vampirism, I think is a really interesting concept. You know, of course, you mentioned Buffy and things like that. And I started thinking about Angel. You know, my middle school mind would think like, oh, Buffy and Angel, they have like this great relationship. And then, of course, you know, Buffy and then Spike. But are these really great relationships? Like, you know, it it comes off as strangely sweet. But then the more you dig into it, it's like, this is actually quite hurtful for everybody involved. 
Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, like I, like I mentioned earlier, these are going to have sort of an episodic feel to it. So um, issues two and, and three will have sort of different antagonists um, and sort of tell a different part of this this journey, and it'll all the parts will equal a whole by the end. But the reason I wanted to lead with vampires, um, aside from the fact that this again is like my love letter to Buffy, and like how could you not lead with vampires? was because my personal metaphor for overly dependent addicts in recovery is, is vampirism. Like on, on my not best days, like, and, and after, you know, too much, uh, there have been times where I felt like my, my cousin or my brother have, have just drained me. You know, they've, they've, they've taken too much. They've, they've taken advantage and maybe not on purpose, but like that doesn't change like that. They've, they've been a drain on me. And I wanted to sort of not reinvent the wheel of vampires, but give them a modern and sort of unique spin that I hadn't seen before. And this idea of vampires as drug dealers sort of fell into place and like, you know, them being drug dealers sort of put Kayla face to face with her addiction and like it just it seemed like a really unique and and almost poetic narrative angle for for vampires you know being that they're bloodsuckers and being that Kayla herself is is kind of a bloodsucker in her you know in a more metaphorical way um so yeah um and then we do the same thing on the second issue with with werewolves um at a sort of well I don't, I don't want to get too much into issue 2 uh, okay advance <laughs> but uh the second issue uh, deals with werewolves. Um, I, I posted the the cover online a while back, and and you know it'll be in previews next month, so people will see it eventually. Speaking of those covers, uh, I'm gonna and well, the artwork, you know, Chris and Shauna, like they, the team is so good, right? They did a bang up job, and I had so much fun talking with Chris the last time, and seeing you two work again is always a treat. And actually, speaking of the art, and I know he's not here, maybe to kind of give his spin on it, but. So like, and I'm trying not to like talk too much about the plot line, but the scenes, especially of the vampires, are so well done. And I think that this book is going to surprise people because I know, as even though the subject matter is you know very intense and it, there's a lot of layers to it, it's also just fucking rips. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, excited for people to check out this book. Obviously, the the story is very personal to me. I'm excited for people to check it out. But like this, the team is. Like like you said, they're 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 killing it. Like, um, and I'm, I'm excited for people to see like the sort of piece as a whole. Like, there's um, there's just so much going on in terms of the the creative minds behind it. Um, so on art, we've got Chris Mad who did the covers for Dead End Kids with me, and I, you know, Chris Chris is a buddy of mine going way back. We used to share a comic shop in New Jersey, uh, Comic Crypt down in Eatontown. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he's been doing comics for forever, I, I think. Um, and when I started writing comics in 2016, like he was sort of vaguely aware of it and we chatted a little bit and like, we, you know, we, we, we were Wednesday warriors. We'd go to the shop and be waiting outside the door when, when it opened at 11. Um, and we would talk from time to time, but, uh, it'll be two years ago in May. Uh, we both did uh great Philly comic con and we got to talking, um, catching up and, and, you know, at toward the end of the conversation on on the Sunday, he's like, "Well, you know, if you've ever got like a book or something you want to throw my way, and like we, you know, I'd love to to work with you, you know, and, you know." So we got that hometown connection, and honestly, I didn't have anything at the time, um, and I got on the plane later that day, and right. you know, 
I was thinking about what Chris said. And, and by the time I got off the plane six hours later in, in San Francisco, I had most of the script written. Um, it was, it was pretty crazy. That's wild. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. Like, I mean, so Chris, Chris and I have like a lot of connections going back. Um, we, we both grew up in the same area. We both went to the same high school about 10 years apart. He's a little older than me. Um, so he was, He's probably a little older than you, and then you're a little older than me, and then so. But uh, uh, <laughs> thanks we, for reminding me that I'm getting older. <laughs> hey, listen, we're all getting older. Yeah, you just enjoy it while you got it. But yeah, Chris and I both have like very punk rock backgrounds, um, and we both hung out in like the same dirty park in Red Bank, the Marine Park, and and just did debaucherous teenage things when we were younger. <laughs> um, and and that's a lot of that is sort of built into the book, like right. You know, park where Kayla and Sid are, are living homelessly is, is modeled after Marine Park and scenes are set in and around Red Bank, even though it's not necessarily directly referenced. Um, so it's, there's a lot going on there. And Chris is, Chris is such a, like a wonderful, thoughtful collaborator. Like, um, I, I, I really enjoyed working on all my, with all my collaborators on grief, like everyone there just, it was all home runs, especially since pretty much everyone on the book at that point was unknown. And, and it was some of the first work of some of the creators with, with dead end kids. Um, like I said, we had Chris on covers, um, Nanad Savitakanen from grief did, uh, the interior art and like people really dug uh, his like simplistic, realistic sort of take uh, on the book. Um, and, and with Chris on, on no heroin, it's, it's like a very different experience. Um, like part of it is because I know Chris and Chris lives in the US. A lot of my collaborators live abroad. Um, so hopping on the phone a couple times a week isn't always an option or even an option because we don't speak the same language. Right. But working with Chris was like one of the truest collaborations I've had in that almost everything was a conversation and like not in like a burdensome way like that might sound like it was I'll write the script he'll read it over and do some thumbnails and then we'll discuss the thumbnails and he'll like, I mean, his page layouts are very thoughtful. Like action scenes have, have panels that are, are shaped certain ways and positioned certain ways. Um, the coloring is done 90% by Shauna. Um, and, and Chris is sort of doing backups on some of it just, just to speed things along. And like the color choices are really, really like, this is a vibrant book considering how dark the book can look at times and how dark the material is. The effect for the vampires getting killed is just... That's probably my favorite thing. And I've, I've learned very early on that I am way too into the various ways creators, whether it be movies or comics or TV shows, the different ways in which vampires getting dusted is uh, is depicted. So <laughs> it, it definitely won my stamp of approval. <laughs> it is. I feel very, very badly about it, actually, because for me, all I had to write was, you know, vampire Dustin in the script and Chris had to sort of create this visual language for what that that would be and how it would work and like honestly like he he went to bat for that like I mean that he he it's an 11 out of 10 for me like some of some of the shots of like it's almost like a snapshot of what it would look like if you caught the vampire disintegrating mid disintegration like as if it's like emanating from a certain point and rippling out and like there are parts where like the hand isn't disintegrated, but the forearm connecting it to the, the elbow is. And like, I mean, it's really, really cool. Um, 
I struggled very much with figuring out the proper sound effect for like what that would sound like. I, I like I said, I grew up on Buffy, and like the the Buffy vampire dusting has like a very specific sound. Yeah, that, that you it's it's almost like the Metal Gear noise <laughs> or the Yoshi sound. Like you can't recreate it like with your mouth, so I'm not even going to attempt to. Um, but it's I was like, what does that sound like? How how would you spell that? And honestly. I think we were almost done with issue one and heading into letters and I had to sort of make a game time decision. I honestly, I think what we landed on is actually pretty good. And, and the way, um, Sean was able to sort of illustrate the sound with the, the sound effects graphics really drove it home. Like there's, there's like a longness to it that makes the best, the sound effects kind of have like a length of sound. There's a, like a jaggedness to it that makes it, sound not like it's ripping but like it's like it's a guttural and, and visceral so i mean like it really came together well in a way that i don't know that anyone's gonna necessarily spend as much time thinking about it as i did but i think it's chris and sean and shauna like i'm i am not good enough to be working with them and i'm so grateful that they're they're on board and, and they're killing it the way they are because this this book looks awesome um cover to cover and then sp- speaking of the covers uh, we got Ahmed Rafat on on covers and he also designed the back page um I mean and and like for anyone who picked up dead end kids like you know that the, the book has like a packaged feel like I have a graphic design background I like a lot of what image is putting out I like what Tom Muller's doing on a lot of the image books in terms of design like I think that comics are expensive for what they are um, and any little thing you can do to make them have more value or, or feel more whole is, is right. good for the reader. So like all my books, I try to have like a really nice package feel and Ahmed really designed a really great visual language for the covers. Um, we sort of started with an idea and that was sort of the David Aha covers for Hawkeye um, sort of. They're not templated, but you can look at them across the series and say, okay, these are all by the same guy. These all have a distinct visual aesthetic to them. Yeah, that really helped a lot, you know, as far as kind of capturing the aesthetic and also just the vibe of that book by having those covers being done by David. And obviously, I know that for various reasons, that may not always be the case. But when it does happen, it's it's really well done. And I think it is another great way to sort of keep readers engaged, especially if it's a, a story that's going to take place over several issues. Yeah. And, and honestly, like for me, I'm not like a very big collector in the sense that like I, you know, hunt for back issues or or buy a lot of variant covers. Um, right. But like, I try to make I, tr- I try to think of the comic like, and this is going to sound very sterile, but as a product and there are like different audiences that comics have. Um, there are people who really like comic stories. There are collectors. There are, are people who, who collect for the art. And I, I got, I'm always trying to, to serve all the different masters as best as I can. Um, and I think part of what really worked for me as a non-collector with that Hawkeye series, was that like, it had sort of a uniform feel to it. Like uh, two of my favorite image series, both of which just ended our East of West and Black Science. Oh, God. East of West. That's a podcast I need to do and have not. That is a book. But yeah. granted, I'm, I'm a, something of a Jonathan Hickman junkie, so. Absolutely same. Like, I mean, I've, I've been super digging his X-Men stuff. Oh, um, absolutely. But yeah, like both of those books have 
almost a templated design for the covers and they have a packaged feel when you turn them over to the back and sort of the same thing with deadly class deadly class is probably a closer analogy because the covers have a visual language but they're not all the same but so these are just sort of things that i i thought of when i was putting the team together and honestly having ahmed on for covers was just me being self-indulgent he did <laughs> uh, a series of variant covers for dead and kids uh one for each issue and each was a convention exclusive uh there were black and white covers and the interiors of the book were done in black and white too we called it like sort of the noir series um sort of trying to lean into the the crime angle of the book and he just did such a such a good job and he's so fast and thoughtful and and just he's such a wonderful collaborator that i like i mean i could have had chris do the covers and Chris will do some covers for No Heroin um, for, for a couple occasions, but I just wanted to work with Ahmed again. Like I wanted, like, I, I wish I had millions of dollars and no day job so I could just hire my friends and make them do incredibly talented artwork and, and, and put together comics with me. Cause I, I'm very blessed to work with like people like Chris and Nanad and Shauna and Sean and, and Ahmed, like just, they, they elevate my game and make me look a lot better than I am. So I'm very, very grateful for them. And I'm going to keep milking those cows as long as they can be milked. <laughs> That's the beauty of comics. And it's something that I always come back to the idea of your team. You know, you're all working together to create the story and sometimes out of nothing, like even especially in an indie format where you're not always you know, have the luxury of dealing with characters who are already sort of implanted and not that people who do like, let's say a Captain America or a Batman, maybe necessarily have it easier, but you know, those are things that people are already tapped into, but to create something, you know, a very personal story that people may not necessarily be aware of to kind of put your name out there is it's admirable. And the fact that your creative team has done so well to tell the story. And like I said, as much of it is personal and it might be a little hard to deal with. I think it's necessary. I think, like you had said earlier, that you don't see a lot of parts of how addiction has affected people and just what that does to everyone around them. And I think that part is something that is always great when it comes to comics and storytelling is telling the story that others may not be telling. So thank you for sharing your story, because like I said, that's not easy. As someone who's grown up around that and seen what it's done and what it continues to do, and to sort of come out of that on the other side, um, if you don't mind me saying, it's commendable. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's um, a joke, but it's probably more serious than that, uh, that the reason I ended up becoming a writer or wanted to become a writer is because I had sort of all these demons sort of scratching at the top of my skull from inside of it that I needed to let out in one way or another. Um, and then while well, that's like a, a fun way to talk about it, uh, the truth is I've, I've, I've got like a lot of personal trauma and, and baggage that, yeah, I'm, I'm 32. I'm an adult, like I'm well adjusted. I like, I don't, have a whole lot of this weighing me down but that doesn't mean it's it's not there or it didn't affect me in, in ways for a long time or that even at the time like i dealt with it all in in the best way like writing grief back in 2016 was like a really it sort of broke me open in a way i didn't expect writing comics to uh sort of dealing with things um especially regarding my mother who 
like I, I mentioned, was was a recovering and, and and relapsing drug addict for most of my life. She had lost custody for me in my teen years, and I had a lot of resentment about that. And we were sort of estranged for a long time, and uh, we were brought back together uh, because she had been hit by a car and the hospital got in touch with me after I hadn't heard from her in, in years. Um, and uh, she was in a coma and ended up dying before like we could ever talk or reconnect or hash it out. And, and like, I, you know, I, I sort of toughed it out back in when I was 17, 18, 19 and then sort of moved on with it. But like writing some of the stories in grief made me sort of look back at it and, and realize like, you know, I didn't need to be tough. I could, I could, I can be sad about it. Like this is a woman who I didn't particularly like at that point in my life, but it didn't mean it wasn't sad or that I didn't love her. And like, I'm getting a little mushy, but you know, writing does that for me. And dead end kids was, was, you know, me sort of looking at childhood trauma and, and sort of my own, like I grew up in a household full of drug addicts. Um, and you know, I ended up okay, I think. Um, but that doesn't mean like at the time it didn't affect me or that it didn't necessarily affect who I grew up to be. And like, these, these are things I wonder about. And, and the, the same is, is true of, of no heroin. Um, like it, it is an examination of, you know, post addiction, uh, people and, and the trials and tribulations they go through, but also me sort of examining my relationships with people in my life who, who have had that going on. Right. And it, it wasn't meant to be that when I first started writing, I just wanted to write a pretty cool vampire story. I wanted to work with Chris and I was excited. I wrote the first issue before I wrote dead end kids actually. So this, this is sort of like glancing backwards at this point. Uh, but I wrote it in like May of 2017 or no, May of 2018, sorry. And it was originally designed to just be a one-shot. As we, we talked and, and sort of fleshed out Kayla and, and got some ideas, like Chris and I sort of hatched an idea to extend it to be a, a miniseries to explore her arc a little longer. But there was a long hiatus sort of between me writing the first one and me writing the rest of the series because, you know, it wasn't supposed to be a series. I geared up to write the story uh, in like June of last year. Uh, so that was issues two and three. And then in July of last year, I was in Miami to work Florida Supercon and my younger brother, Harry reached out to me, um, to let me know that, that my brother Joey had, had overdosed and died. Oh, my condolences, by the way. Uh, thank you. It's, it's, yeah, I, I don't want to belittle it or, or overindulge it. I just, I, it's, to, I'm still sort of working through and on it. Um, but it, it, it sort of it was kind of a like a fundamental shift in, in the book for me. So I was gear, gearing up to write the last two issues, and then this happens and sort of cast the story in a different way and gave me new reasons to to sort of write and tackle the the source material like even more personal than than like I already had had. It was it was actually pretty surreal. Um, the week before SuperCon in Miami. I had sort of put together some of the pages for the dead end kids trade paperback. Um, and one of those pages is a dedication page to, to my brothers, Harry and Joey and my cousin, Tom, the kids I grew up with and who a lot of the story and characters are, are based on and modeled around. And then Supercon happened and, and Joey died. And, and then the week after I was writing a dedication for no heroin in the end of the last issue script. And yeah, it was, it was surreal to be dedicating one book one week to, to somebody. And then the week after, sort of dedicating it to the memory of them the, the, the next one it was i don't know like i like i said i'm still sort of working through a lot of it but um 
this is sort of like the fantasy wish fulfillment aspect I mentioned earlier. Like, you know, obviously Joey struggled and, and he didn't necessarily win his, his, his battle. Um, so, you know, hopefully Kayla will, or at least find some way of, of heading down that road. We'll find out by the end of the series. Yeah. And hopefully it may even help somebody else reading it. I think one of the things that's helped and maybe not necessarily in this regard, in regards to the things that have happened to these characters and maybe members of your family, but like I said, you mentioned demons, everybody that I know is going through something, whatever it is. And we don't necessarily have to speak those things out loud, but one of the things that's always helped me is knowing that I'm not alone in those battles. Maybe much like with grief and dead and kids and then even no heroin where, like I said, it's a great story that honestly anybody should read. But maybe in a roundabout way, it'll help somebody else out. And like I said to you at the top of the show, it's like it's not easy to sort of share these things. So I just want to close out by saying thank you, because hopefully in this, not only will you hopefully find your closure, but maybe it'll help somebody else out in the process, kind of process their own complicated feelings regarding this and kind of like similar situations. That's the beauty of storytelling finding ways to help people, even if you don't even realize that they are. So thanks to you, Chris and Shauna and Sean and Amit, like everybody who's on this team, because I think it's a good work and it's an honest work that may not always be pretty, but it's engaging. And like I said, I think it's, it's an important story to tell. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for that. And yeah, like that's, that's kind of my hope. Like it's almost a cliche to say it at this point, but nobody gets into comics to make money. Like there's, there's not a lot of money. Like there's, there's something else driving them. Um, and like going back to grief, like grief is a collection of short stories about the grieving process. You know, the five stages, uh, sort of told through horror and sci-fi stories, some drama stories, crime stories, but it like, honestly, it's really about seeing healthy grieving and, and, understanding like that it's okay to grieve and, and, and sort of tackling that subject matter. That's not necessarily comfortable. And, and the reason I wrote that book wasn't you now to make a bunch of money or to sell some copies or um, it was, it was cause it was the book that I wish when I was growing up that I had, like it was, I would love to have found a comic where I could see people struggling with shit and getting through it. Um, I think that would have done tremendous things for, for, for my own personal life. Um, so when I started writing comics, I wanted to write something that would be valuable in that way for other people. And, and honestly, like it, it I think it has been, Yeah, you know, the book came out two years ago. We sold over 3000 copies of it. It's long sold out at this point. And like every time I do a convention and sell a few copies, I, about a week later, I get one or two messages in email or Facebook, Twitter, Instagram of people who bought the book, sat down and read it and said, oh my God, like, you know, this is, I wish I had this book when I was going through X, Y, and Z, or I'm going through this thing right now. And this, this was, this is what I needed. And like, that's, that's what I'm hoping for. Like, you know, comics, comics fans come from like a huge diverse background of different lives and, and different sort of things they've gone through. And, and, you know, you never know, like, you know, that meme, like, I don't know who needs to see this, but mm-hmm. like that, that's, kind of like what i'm going for like i don't know who's going through this this post addiction recovery phase or who's got somebody like this in their lives um but you know i don't know who you are but if if this is what you need to see like here it is i hope this helps 
Thank you so much, Frank. And again, thank you for taking the time out and chatting with me. As always, what I'd like to do before we close out is let people know where they can find more about you if they wish to interact with you. Um, obviously, where people can um, hopefully find O'Heroin and anything else you feel like plugging, uh, feel free to do so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'm on I'm on social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, all my handles are just my name with no space. So it's at Frank Gogol, F-R-A-N-K-G-O-G-O-L. Um, I'm on Facebook. Anyone who's not going to like stalk me or anything can feel free to send me, <laughs> feel free to send me a Facebook request. If you like my stuff and it, you want to, you want to chat about it or, or keep up with me. Like I'm not, I'm not too precious about Facebook or, you know, keeping it personal or anything like, um, and then, uh, no heroin will be in previews, uh, next month in April and then in May. So you've got sort of a 60 day window to pre-order the book, uh, before the cutoff at the end of May, uh, the order code will come out with the diamonds catalog at the end of this month. So I don't have that, but anyone who's remotely interested in the book wants to check it out, check out the first issue, just head into your little comic shop, tell your comic guy or gal that you want to check out no heroin, or you can give them my name, Frank Ogle, or say source point press. And through some combination of those things, they'll, they'll be able to get it pre-ordered for you. It's, it's, it should be fairly easy. Um, and, and if I could add to that, like I, I'm very proud of this book in a way that I was for grief and for dead and kids. I think it's, I think it's important. I think it has something to say. Yeah. If it does sound like a book that is interesting to you, please go pre-order it because like I said earlier, dead and kids ended up speaking to a lot more people than were able to pre-order it because they weren't aware of the book. Um, so just don't, don't hesitate. Like pre-orders drive this industry and you know, it's, waiting for things to hit shelves or, or finding out about it after the fact, like doesn't help you. It doesn't help the retailer. It doesn't help the publishers. It doesn't help the creators. Like, so if, if you hear about a book, you like whether it's my book or not, like make sure you, you get in on that before the window closes. Um, and hopefully, um, if you like no heroin, number one, stick around for the, the whole ride. Like it's, there's a really great payoff at the end of this book. Um, and I'm really excited to see how people, uh, what they think of it. Myself included. Again, thanks so much. Uh, well, you basically said it as best I could regarding pre-order, so um, definitely uh, do so. And adrianasissues.com is where you can find this in every other episode. We are on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Um, you can find all those places and listen to the show, as well as every other podcast that's on adrianasissues.com. And again, thanks to Frank, and we will see you next time. Have a good one, folks. For more great podcasts, visit adrianhasissues.com.